0: Our Bible reading today is from Romans 5, and it's verses 1 to 11, if you'd like to read along. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled? Shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, But we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation.
1: Well, um, this morning we are going to speak about grace. Uh, We're going to jump around to a few passages, the one in Romans, as well as the the story I told you, um, and have a bit of a look at Phil Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, as well. The sun is up there. Well, I wonder what you hear, um, what comes to mind when you hear the word grace? Um, Do you think of a time where you were shown grace? Or maybe you think of a prayer before a meal? Maybe there's someone who comes to mind. (laughs) Maybe there are less positive associations. An interaction that maybe lacked grace. Grace. An ungraceful fall. I wonder what we think of when we think grace. That's our topic for this morning, um, but more specifically, God's amazing grace. Um, did you know I had a really hard time this week picking Bible references for this sermon? And it's not because they weren't there. In the New Testament alone, grace is mentioned over 100 times, not to mention all the stories that illustrate God's grace. It is so crucial to the overarching story of the Bible that it was hard to pick just one, or in my case, just a few to draw from. You know, if we see Grace's one passage or one moment, we actually miss the richness of God's grace. And while the moment that we probably hear most often in church with grace would be... and guesses? Where do we probably talk about grace the most? Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus' death and resurrection, yes. And that is an incredible, costly, lavish act of God's grace. Um, And hugely important to our understanding of grace, but it is not all of God's grace. And isn't that incredible that, like, Jesus' death on the cross, which is so central to our faith and so incredible, is not all of God's grace. Like, that blows my mind. God's grace actually is at work right from the beginning. As we read Genesis, as we read God breathing creation into being, us, go talk to Daddy if you want food, darling. (laughs) Sorry, the job doesn't end. Um, do you want to take her and get her some food? Go with Dad, darling. Or no. oh, you can stand there but I can't give you food. I know you just want me. It's tricky. Um, back to God's grace right from the start. As Grog created the world and spoke it into being, And as God chose to create us, people, in his image, that's where we start to see God's grace, right from the beginning of the story. And you read through the Bible and it doesn't stop. It goes on right to the end, doesn't it? God's grace is incredibly vast. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard grace described as um, unmerited favour, which it is. Um, and it's part of God's character that he would choose to extend grace to us. Now, the truth is, if you go on this side, I can talk. The truth is, it's been a while since I've read a book. This might be a good example of why. And actually, like, that's not completely true. I've read hundreds of books. Bluey at the Beach. That's not my koala. That's not my Santa. That's not my mermaid. That's not my meerkat. cat. Uh, my first Easter. And the list goes on. With two small children, um, time to concentrate on books uh, that have more than a few pages and more than pictures. It's okay. Um, It's actually really hard. But and so when Megan was like, "We can do a summer book club," I was like, "That's so great." (laughs) I was like, "Oh no, I might have to read a book." we can do this, uh, but could actually put out a list of suggestions, and on that list was the book What's So Amazing About Grace. I read this book a long time ago, um, and I have re... Like, I've reread it. <laughs> I'm not preaching from memory, but I remember... When I looked at this title, I remember it with great fondness. It's a book that I read in my early 20s, and I read it actually around the time that I met Phil. Uh, I did, for work, run one of his book signings, along with a couple of friends. And one of the great things about meeting him was actually that he came across as a kind and genuine person. Um, as he signed books, he listened to people's stories, he greeted them, he took pictures with them, um, and after I don't even know how long he was signing for and how many people he signed for, he took the time to talk to those of us who had been running um, running his signing and yeah to sign our books and to take pictures with us and you know I don't know when you read a book sometimes you wonder if is this person who's writing this is this genuine like is this how they speak and for me as I met him I was like oh yeah this guy genuinely believes what he's writing Uh, and it gave a, a real credibility to his work for me And I'm really thankful, actually, for the uh, the chance to reread this book. Um, And actually, I mostly re-listened to it um, on audiobook. Just an easier way in this stage of motherhood to take in a book. And as I was listening to this book, uh, Phil actually told about 25 years ago, as he was writing this book, as he finished it and sent the manuscript by post, as he did then, off to his editor, he turned to his wife and he said, I think this is the last book I'll write for Christians and specifically for the evangelical audience. Uh, you see, it wasn't that he'd run out of things to say or felt that there was no place left to hit for him to import. It was actually that he was worried at how this book, not worried, but he, he felt that this book would not be well received among his readers, which were predominantly American evangelicals um, and evangelicals from around the world. Um, and I wondered what could be so offensive about a book on grace. And, look, there might be a clue in the original title that he submitted, which was what's so amazing about grace and why don't Christians show more of it. <laughs> but his, his greater concern was some of the chapters he'd included and specifically who those chapters uh, were on. He worried that they were going to be offensive because they were people that Christians, particularly um, evangelicals, didn't like. But he was wrong, Um, and this is actually one of his best-selling books. I hope it speaks to how the church values grace and how even when maybe we don't show it as much as we could, that we want to. We want to respond to God's grace. Because while grace is a gift undeserved to the unworthy, one that we cannot we cannot clean ourselves up enough to earn grace or to be worthy of grace there is a response to grace and if we choose to respond to grace not because we have to to earn it but because we're compelled to because of the richness of grace we actually come to a greater understanding of grace And grace begins to work within us personally as a community and also begins to flow out of us to a world in desperate need of amazing grace. Um, Yes, that is a picture of myself with Phil and his wife and two of my friends on a very, very old (laughs) um, phone where it was still quite fuzzy pictures. Um, But, yeah. I stuck that in there. (laughs) Um, But look, you look look at the look on his face and his wife's face. Like that wasn't a smile for the photo. That was them the whole time we met them. Um, And really you could see the impact of the grace of God in his life just in the way that he treated people. Like he was there as the key speaker. He was the person everyone had come to see. If you didn't know that and you chatted to him after, you wouldn't know that. That's the grace of God. <sighs> now, um, if you want a picture of grace, Romans is a pretty good place to go, isn't it? Um, look, we could have just read Romans and, and called it a day. <laughs> it's such a powerful thing. Um, and here's just a couple of verses that, from Romans 5 that I've been sitting with. <clears throat> Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith to grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of of the glory of God. And this one, verse 6, really hit me this week. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's pretty powerful, right? It's an incredible picture of God's grace. While we were powerless, ungodly... Apart from God, God extended his hand of grace to us. Unworthy, unlovely, ungraceful, undeserving, dead in sin. God's grace, grace broke in. You know, Paul says, you might, someone might dare to die for a good person, if they're worth it. But God, no, He died for the ones who weren't worth it. Showing us grace and giving us worth. Um, I've heard the question asked does this then make light of, of our sin or give us an excuse to keep on sinning? Because, you know, God's grace grabbed us while we were sinners and while we were dead and saved us from that sin. So, do we live in that? Um, and if you read, continue to read Romans onto Romans six, Paul would say, "Well, he'll asked this exact question? Well, then shall we keep on sinning so that God can keep showing us more and more of His kindness and forgiveness?" Of course not. And I love kind of the I don't know. This is the tone I read it with. But he's like, "Are you kidding? <laughs> of course not." Should we keep on sinning when we don't have to? And he goes on to say, you know, sin's power is broken. Our old selves were dead and buried. Like why would you live in that when you have been freed to enjoy new life, to enjoy God's grace, not to suffer through it? not that we won't suffer for it, but to enjoy the grace that God has lavishly given us in connecting with us, in redeeming us. There's almost an essence of Paul being like, are you crazy? Like, did you not hear the story of God's grace to us? Why would you not live it? Why would you not enjoy the hope and the freedom that is in the grace, that, that is what we stand in, in this grace? by God's grace and work in us. We can see our old sin. We can see the weight of our sin and the consequences and how it has trapped us. And we can recognize that we actually need God's grace. We need God's grace to reconcile us to him. It doesn't make light of our sin and it doesn't give us a reason to live in sin. Instead, it gives us a reason to live in freedom and to rejoice. It gives us connection with God. It brings us from death to new life. And isn't it freeing to know that there is nothing we need to do to deserve that, that there is no amount of cleaning up that we can do to be good enough? And as we respond to God's grace, we understand it more and more. And we accept the generosity of that grace. And we become transformed into a new creation, free from the weight and chains of sin. Um, This this grace is a journey for us, right? So later we're going to sing a version of Amazing Grace that was written by John Newton it was actually written at a time when he had come to faith but was still a slave trader. Grace is a process, right? A process of transformation. A process of God's opening our eyes. If we allow it to be. He will work in the mess and change our hearts. And, you know not because we're worthy. Another example of how grace changes us, changes us is actually in Phil Yancey. So as I read this book, um, something struck me. He kept coming back to, um, to talk about how he was raised and where that put him. So as a young man, he was raised in a southern, very conservative, highly racist church, a church that condoned racism, um, justified Racism, And he tells that not to give an excuse for his own um, engagement in racism, but just to show the context from which he came. Um, He tells stories of laughing at crosses being burnt on lawns, um, of hearing violence and great crimes perpetrated against African-Americans and saying, well, they deserved it coming up here and starting trouble. But he shows us this journey not to say you know, don't go to those churches, they're terrible, not to put anyone else down. There's no naming and shaming, but instead to show the work of grace in his own life, to show that though he did this while he was a committed Christian, um, you know, going to church, praising God, he was blind to his sin and it was God's grace that opened his eyes to that sin and that transformed him. That is the power of God's grace. And the lavishness of God's grace is that he was forgiven for those things. So I think back to that question of what could have been so offensive about about this grace that Phil would be um, worried people wouldn't want to read his books anymore. And part of it is that God's grace, and this shouldn't be revolutionary, God's grace is given freely to all to all the unworthy. And while when we think about that, maybe it doesn't feel that offensive to us. Um, And maybe that's because we know that we are part of the unworthy. I wonder if sometimes we don't understand what it was for Jesus to um, eat and sit with the people that he did. You know, you read stories of him sitting with tax collectors and prostitutes. Um, And he was looked down on on for that. And sometimes these people become characters in a story to us, but they were real people. And the things they did had real effects on those around them. Their sins had ripple effects, but Jesus chose to see the person created in his image and to extend grace to that person, even though they were sinners. This is the bit of grace that's offensive, that all of us are that unworthy. And all of us are that welcomed back to Jesus. All our sins separate us from God. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. In his book, Phil tells the story of a prostitute. As I read this story, I was really confronted by it. I have two young children, both girls. Um, I'm not. I'm going to read the story and there'll be a few details you have to kind of infer just because there's kids in the room. Um, But this woman was at rock bottom in a state of addiction and desperation. Dependent on drugs, she rented out her two-year-old daughter. Yeah, to support her addiction. To be back. Yeah, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Yeah, pretty
0: heavy.
1: She was drowning in all the wrong she had done. And as she spoke of this, she was asked, what about going to church for support? And this was her response. The church, I am already feeling bad enough. Why would I go there? You know, we're not given much context in the book of what her experience was with church, but by experience or reputation, the church to her was a place where she would find judgment, condemnation, where she would feel worse, not a place where she would find grace. Grace, God's grace, Jesus' death on the cross, that's for everyone. Everyone. This woman would have been one of those that Jesus sat with. Jesus' grace extends even to the sins that leave us sick and devastated and speechless, even to the sins that leave us broken. God's grace is on offer to those people. And as his church, we're a foretaste of that Grace. We're a place that shows. We need to be a place that shows that grace. Phil, here's a quote from his book. You know, it takes little or no grace to relate to someone who thinks like you, votes like you, looks like you, smells like you. However, grace is put to the test when we confront when we confront someone different, especially someone who is morally offensive to us. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not suggesting that the church should um, forsake mandatory reporting or safe churches or any of those things. Those things are so important. When we look at, at showing the love of God to people, of being people made in God's image, of seeing that in people, it is important that we love and protect people and that we have policies in place that help us to do so. It's actually those things that allow us to welcome people in. It's those things that allow us to show grace to all because they protect the vulnerable as well as loving the offenders and while this woman will still have consequences to face for neglecting and abusing a child God's grace is enough for her God's death God sending Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross is enough for her. It is restorative. It is freeing. And not only would she be forgiven when she turns back to the Father, but in the video that we didn't watch, um, there will be great rejoicing. You know, that, that story of the lost son is, is surrounded by two others that talk about lost things being found and people rejoicing over them. as she turns back to grace, there is great joy. Now, the story doesn't say that she does turn back to grace, but that is what is on offer. That is the grace that God offers. I wonder how we as a church can be a church that embraces God's grace and that shows it to others. How we can pass on the lavish gift of grace undeserved and given to all. How we can show people that no one is so far from grace that they will not be welcomed with great joy into the kingdom of God. Lastly this morning, I want to talk a bit about grace in our world. Now, something that's true of me is that I detest the news. I hate it. I hate, hate watching it. It just crushes me. Wars, oppression, murder, abuse. Seeing the headline time and time again, a woman found dead. Another school shooting. It is so much to take in. There is so much brokenness and devastation. And I was reflecting on this fact this week that I really struggled to sit and watch the news, and thinking like, what is wrong with me and my faith? Is it not enough? that I know that God is greater than this world? And actually, I realised that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much my faith grows or how much my understanding of God grows. In fact, it will probably make me more devastated by the news because what my heart is breaking for is a world that is in desperate need of God's grace. We see that, right? Our world is in desperate need of God's grace. It is thirsty. Jesus has come to me, all who are thirsty. The world is thirsty for God's grace. You only need to turn on the news or look at your Facebook feed and see that the world is full of people who live without grace. Even the good guys these days lack grace. The way we talk to each other, the way we can't even talk about voting or different things without conversations that are laced with ungrace that lack in love. The world is desperate for God's grace. So where does that leave us as his church? How do we even have an impact on a world that is so broken and so in need of grace? You know, Jesus talks in Matthew 5 about being salt and light. I think it starts with this journey of grace for us, right? Right? This allows us to be the salt and light. You know, he said, if salt loses its saltiness, what's the point? If we hide our light in a bowl, what's the point? If we are a people brought into the grace of God and yet it doesn't show, what's the point? We need to be changed by this gift of grace. We need to be, and I don't like using the word need, but I don't have a better word, Our response to God's great grace is to live a life that reflects it, that is worthy of it. And in doing that, in our small ways, in the people that we encounter, we bring grace to a world that really needs it. We bring grace to the oppressors and the oppressed. We are a foretaste. We show them the grace in which we stand. There's nothing we can do to clean people up enough to, need God, to know they need God's love or, or to change their hearts other than to introduce them to the only place to find true grace, to the only one who can give that grace. To a world that is just as unworthy of grace as we are, we bring that grace. And when we do, we find a new richness. As we become a transformed people and as we, the church, becomes a place that is marked by the grace of God, we will see lives transformed. We will see grace overflown. I wonder what your response to grace is this morning. And I hope it's not... And please don't hear try harder. Be more gracious. Be more graceful. Hear this. God's grace is enough for you. Know that. And live as people who are offered great grace. I want to give us a few minutes this morning just to sit in silence and think about what our response
0: to this great grace is. And then I'm going to pray for us.
1: Father God, from the beginning we see your grace to us. Thank you. Thank you that you would show us such lavish grace that you would break in to our world and come to a people. undeserving, unworthy, and that you would show amazing love, amazing grace. Thank you that you would want reconciliation with us. And God, this morning I pray you would change our hearts and allow us to be people changed by grace. God, work in us as we go out into our weeks. Amen.